rise up. Whoa, not gonna give up. Whoa, we're gonna rise up. Whoa, we're gonna rise up. Whoa, not gonna give up. Whoa, we're gonna rise up. Rise up, yeah. Oh, we're gonna rise up. Welcome to Rise Up, hosted by me, Steve Kahn. Today, we've got an amazing interview for you with John X. Uh, John has got huge credits. He's worked with um, as an engineer, producer, mixer, um, a remixer, a songwriter, but he's worked with some great, great people. Dave Bowie, um, he's worked with Pink. Um, gosh, there's a bunch of, and I'm going to give you, the sh in the show notes, you'll see a link to um to to all of his credits and all these shows and all these um all this stuff that he's done and it's it's just amazing because we kind of dived into um talking about uh so, some of the fundamentals that he he used and some of his philosophy on reaching the level of success that he's had and um you know we're going to be uh, i ask him a lot of cool questions and and stuff that would really help you guys uh, as you're trying to start your business as you're trying to um, uh, step out of the step out of the boat or step into the unknown and and reach your dreams uh, some of the same things uh, that he's gone through the same things that you're going to go through and uh, we're all humans <laughs> that's what we have in common we're all humans we're all going to be going through that imposter syndrome and and um, and, and trying not to be uh, trying uh, like allowing people around you uh, to do their thing and not micromanaging everyone those are going to be some powerful things we talk about there. And um, but before we dive into this, I just want to let you guys know, um, you know, if you if this has been good for you, or this has been encouraging, uh, or inspirational, motivational. Uh, the whole reason I started this podcast was to give a voice to my um, stillborn son, Asher Kai. You know, I gave him, I wanted wanted him to have a voice. I wanted to start this podcast uh, because something tragic happened, and he didn't get a voice. Uh, I wanted to give um, give him a voice by doing something positive and inspirational, motivational out in the world. So if you smile, if you get anything from this, uh, it's been a win. And uh, and but I, I want to I want to encourage you to head over to my Patreon account and consider becoming a sponsor. Consider becoming a a partner and helping this helping me grow this. There's a there's there's costs associated to running this podcast and. And um, please, if you get anything out of it, you know, please consider being a partner over there. Just go over to patreon.com forward slash Steve Collum. And uh, the link will be in the show notes. And um, uh, hopefully you can uh, become a supporter there. And, and uh, but anyway, without talking too much and um, uh, let's dive into this interview. It's going to be amazing. The mindset for what you were trying to achieve while you were tracking was different too, from a production standpoint. And having both of those contrasts early on, as I feel like it was extremely crucial to like flexibility that would come later on. Well, yeah. And, and walk us through a little bit of some of those different nuances, like, uh, like I'm, I'm guessing kind of like the pop machine is very structured. You do this, 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 and this, and in more of the, you know, uh, the organic kind of vibe, you, you let it happen, let the magic happen. Or, but you tell me what, what, how is some of those kind of different? 
Yes. Well, you know, even at that um, at that first place, I'd say most of that pop session stuff was done like rigidly to a click. Oh, yeah. um, that would be a primary example. Um, there was never there wasn't usually any room for any time for or room for experimentation everything that was going to go because basically we only had 24 tracks this wasn't like a 48 track room so everything was almost mapped out in advance in terms of like how many what was going to occupy how many tracks and there was like nobody ever did anything hey you know what i want to just try this other thing like that never happened um i went into through a phase when i was at the at the pop place where i was like hey you know I hear all the rock people use room mics and they were like, yeah, screw your room mics. That's like a waste of tracks. They just shut me down immediately. (laughs) But then like at the other place, the guy was like, oh man, we have this live concrete room adjacent to the live recording room. And what we're going to do is we're going to stick a pair of um, Shep's, I think there was like Shep's tube condensers or something that we put in that live room which was like a live sauna so it had a beautiful ambience and we would record natural drum ambience onto two tracks of the tape so he would he was like i don't care i'm going to commit to these two tracks and they were a vital part of that that sort of how would you so if as i'm thinking i'm in my mind i'm thinking of a concrete you know it's a pretty pretty concrete room how did you get the sound into there to, to well, so it was adjacent to the live room. So oh, yeah. um, basically, you could just go through a door which opened. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And so I would leave that you'd just leave the door open about eight inches. And you had basically this live chamber behind the band that was completely kind of separated from the band. <laughs> yeah. And it was amazing. And sometimes we did stuff with like one microphone in there. Another thing you would have never done at the pop place. Like, you know, they were like, yeah, you know, the old records were done with one mic. So we would experiment with stuff like that, which was amazing, too. But we had like incredible talent came through there, too. Not it wasn't just Bonnie Raitt. It was most of the people from Fleetwood Mac. It was Mick, Lindsay, Christine. Those three came in pretty regularly. Then the guys from the band also came in. Garth Hudson and Rick Danko and Richard Manuel and Levon Helm. Like those guys are like amazing cats from a completely different universe. Yeah. Um, Jim Keltner was, he's like a famous session drummer and he's played with like John Lennon and stuff. He's just played with incredible cats. He was probably, he was the first person to show up with an electronic drum kit and he showed up with this it was like a beta prototype of the simmons kit that would later become extremely popular in the 80s and he showed up with that and i was like oh my gosh look at that so we set him up and it was him playing double drums with gary Busey playing the other acoustic kit um and we had this all-star rhythm section and those two sounded incredible and that was my first electronic drums experience and it was you know it was early 80s so it was inevitable that it would be the first of many yeah 
<laughs> Absolutely. Well, gosh, that's uh, and that's amazing. And, and some of, like working with some of those names that you uh, you mentioned, Fleetwood Mac. You know, they uh, those are huge cats. You know, those are those are great players and and very super successful. Great names to be in, even involved in. And so, how how did you make the like? Because you did a lot of engineering. Um, and for some of the viewers who aren't 100 percent sure what what is the difference between engineering and producing and mixing, I'm sure you. you what was some of the the dynamics there when you're working with people? Was it you'd have the producer in the room and then the mixing guy, and then you would be like running around and and pushing all the buttons and and making sure everything's working? And uh, walk us through some of those dynamics and how you made that transition to doing it all you know you're a songwriter as, as well as the mixing producer you know i feel like i may have been like subliminally nudging towards that path from the minute i got to that very first place because right. one of the first things they taught me they said well you know as an assistant you're gonna have to like keep your mouth shut you don't have an opinion do not um speak unless spoken to all that stuff mm -hmm. and anyone who knows me knows that pretty much I can I cannot do any of those last things that I just listed. I have I, it. It doesn't matter how much I'm trying. You're gonna something is going to explode out of my yeah. mouth at some point, and I just uh, can't stop it. Uh -huh. So I think that sort of guided the thing because I could never be that kind of engineer. And a lot of the guys who taught me and they taught me amazing things and they taught me really serious procedural stuff that I will that I to this day I still implement like when I'm tracking a band there's still stuff from those very early sessions that I'm still doing exactly the same way except that um I think I was I always had to push towards you know how can like my brain's going to be analyzing maybe the drum pattern how is that drum attaching to the bass how is that groove feeling and that stuff immediately went to those first like two studios that i was at and i just felt like i had this like in the 80s it was really i really got a, like a solid understanding i felt like that was the beginning of groove school and then even shangri-la was again more groove school and somewhere within those two you start to just assimilate this thing it's like okay i know how i want this thing to feel or i know how this thing wants to inevitably feel maybe and how can i help these people get it there yeah wow and that's that's pretty much stepping into the producing role and and uh yeah you're saying no 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 yeah, yeah we need you to do it this way if you want that sound that you want <laughs> you know so and there's definitely been times like if there was a producer in the room and, you know, you start doing that, you know, I I could ruffle some feathers because I wouldn't look at him and go, hey, what do you think of this idea? Like, I would never do that. It would just be like, blah, 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 and just blurt out whatever, you know, was in my brain, which is less than tactful and. It's not the kind of thing I would do now, but I mean, gosh, I was I wasn't even 20 years old at that point. So I don't I can't say that I really had a full set of social skills um, mastered at that point. I was still pretty feral. Right. Feral. I like the choice of the word. That's right. And so 
and so uh, being such a young age and and having access to so much uh talent and and amazing studios and that kind of thing what was you you know you made the process or you made a kind of a transition to start your own business or start your own kind of thing and surely did you kind of i know a little while ago but did, were you you know what, what kind of was going through your head or what was kind of forcing you to kind of step out on your own because there's there's a lot of uh risks there you know it's like how are you going to pay bills you know all that kind of thing you know well it was it was it was really exactly that and there was this point where there's this point where as an assistant you become totally qualified to run the session on your own and you don't really need the engineer there anymore. And there was that point. And I think for a long time, I was waiting for like those engineers around me to go, wow, dude, you're there, you know, like you've graduated. But at some point I realized that none of them were ever going to say that because they loved having me around as their assistant. And the last <laughs> thing they want me to do is take off and leave them with somebody who isn't, nearly as efficient and i didn't figure that out for a while you know for maybe a couple of years but then you know as i started looking ahead it was even at that point i felt like the only way a studio was going to really be hiring you as an engineer is if you've got some sort of client base right. um because so many out people were bringing in outside engineers to begin with they really weren't going to be able to accommodate um staff engineers they would have staff assistants you know second engineers would be um staff but um not as many were hiring in-house engineers some of them might have one chief engineer right. to sort of make sure everything's running perfectly but i wasn't finding there was a lot of places that were going to really be looking for those skills so all of a sudden it became necessary mandatory that if you're going to maintain this career you've got to generate your own client base mm -hmm. so i had already started going out to clubs and i would just be like hey i like your band you guys want to record with me and it would it would work and i had you know picked up some clients from Shangri-La from the, some of those people had continued to work with me as, as I had traveled on and moved on from there. And from there, I had a few full-time, you know, staff positions, but it seems like for the most part, I was freelance until 2010. So that's probably about um, maybe a solid 20 year period. Yeah. and freelance is you know it's grueling and it can be terrifying you know because you go through these things where like oh yeah i'm on top of the world i'm working with whoever i'm working with the stones this week and this person that week and then all of a sudden you know you might be completely dead in the water for about a month mm -hmm. and it seems like after about a couple of days you would just be like oh my god I've been blackballed. Nobody wants to work with me ever again. <laughs> you start having yeah. all this like crazy workaholic neuroses start yeah. applying themselves. And then you're like, dude, just knock it off and go to the beach, go do something and enjoy your time off before yeah. someone takes it away. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, and I think I think you're touching on some amazing keys there because 
uh, no matter when you're starting a business or no matter what kind of business you're starting. And, and a lot of my listeners are, uh, you know, they're entrepreneurs or they want to kind of start that new thing or they want to reach their dream. And so usually a dream is is attached by all that fear and stepping out. And, and that's one thing when you are starting a business, there's the ups and downs. And, and then one of the things that I kind of learned um, you know, it wasn't wasn't too long ago, maybe the last couple of years, is that seasons, you're going to have a summer where it's a harvest or something. It's going to be awesome. You're going to be, in your case, working with the stones or something. And then the next week, it's going to be like, yeah, no one's calling and you're, and you're questioning everything, you know. And <laughs> so it's uh, it's seasons, you know, and it's um, I think it, that's such a powerful thing to know that uh, going into it. And I just want to tell my audience and, and viewers that, you know, someone as successful as John he's been in those exact shoes where it's like, just calm down. And, and that when the phone's not calling or, or you're not working, use that as a time to relax. Cause you got, are going to be working. You're going to be busy here real soon. Okay. You know what? And here's a great addendum to that. So it wasn't long before I realized that if I started planning a vacation or said, you know, you know, I think I'm going to take off and go to Europe for a couple of weeks. The minute I would start planning the vacation, um, somebody would call and be like, hey, man, you think you'd be available for work in the next couple of weeks? And they would steal the vacation from me. So uh, once I understood that there was this other like dark magic taking place, then it was like, OK, so that means anytime I'm kind of out of work, all I need to do is plan a vacation. And then the worst thing that happens, even if those people don't call and say. We need you to work, then you get to go on vacation and actually do something fun and get out of your head and take a break. And it it turned it started as a sort of absurdist philosophy, but it actually is has been incredibly efficient and beautifully functional. Oh wow. I love that. I think that's so so cool. I love that. I love that. Uh, that's really good. And then you you win either way. You win either way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. Well, that's that, and that's that's so cool to hear. And I I encourage the um everyone to take that approach or because having a vacation, it's one thing that's it's uh, having time off or relaxing is is definitely something that I I'm not very good at. I uh, sometimes my wife tells me, okay, well if you have to be doing something, why don't you do nothing? <laughs> so in my mind, I'm like I'm sitting there going, this is good. You're doing nothing but you're still doing something but it's nothing and it helps you to be inspired and, and relaxed or re rested for that next thing and i think that's such a it's just that balance you know and it's always a always a yeah there's so much value in doing nothing and as i've gotten older i try to make sure there's like one a few hour slot at least once a week where i do nothing like if i can turn on a movie and sleep through it that is <laughs> like the best few hours the way i could spend those few hours like oh my gosh that's so fantastic it's pretty mm -hmm. rare for me to actually go back and rewatch the movie but i feel like <laughs> it was part of the success of that day it's like yeah I slept through you <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> awesome so um so, so tell me a little bit about um you know i always try and make these um these conversations or this podcast you know inspirational and and, and motivational and, you, and you've inspired so many things with, with all your your story uh, already but what are some of the maybe a couple of the ob obstacles that you kind of um little aha moments or things that you uh, throughout your career that you've like 
you know, that was a really good lesson or that was an obstacle that I had to go through to learn that lesson or whatever. Is there, is there anything you'd want to share on? Um, well, it's, it could be, I don't know that I have um, pivotal time points for this, but there's something that I have noticed that has been a radical change in my approach probably over the last, it's already been like this for a few years, but it's something that kicked in probably about 10 years ago and it took a few years to really fully activate. But I feel like when I from when I first started producing, uh, probably until, gosh, it could even be the mid-2000s, I feel like I had a sort of insane, obsessive um, control thing going on where I was like, I just had to micromanage every single performance, the bass, the kick drum part, the hi-hat, the everything, the this. And somewhere... About 10 years ago, I just started making this completely different shift to really trying to let the other person, like if there are other people involved, to really let them shine and bring their best game to the table instead of like force feeding them my goofy idea, like let them run all the way with theirs first. And if if what they give you maybe doesn't work, then I might suggest something else. But I felt like I was getting such great results doing that, that I've never had the inclination to go back and start that excessive micromanagement. And I really do feel like, I mean, I was like insane nitpicker. Um, and I'm surprised that people continued to work with me because I was probably so incredibly annoying back then. But um, somehow, um, I guess all has been forgiven and nobody held that grudge more than I did. Wow. And I feel like as far as any other obstacles, probably most of the obstacles that were there were probably self-created. Um <laughs> I don't, I don't feel that, you know, life has its own stuff. You know, there was, you know, kids and relationships, but I feel like those, I can't really look at those as obstacles because those are things we're all juggling at all times. But then there's things like confidence, self-esteem at the time in those early eighties, nineties era. I mean, there was no such thing as imposter syndrome, right. but I certainly, thought that I had that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, I'm sure I felt like, you know, there would be these moments where I was like, gosh, I really love doing this and I'm having the most amazing time doing it. And then there'd be these other times that I was like, gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I don't even know how I ended up working with these people. Right. And I hope I can fool them all the way until the end of the project. <laughs> and it was like, and then you'll collapse and be like, oh, we're done. Yeah, and I think I was really probably rotating back and forth between both of those emotions on a fairly regular basis. And I don't know if that specifically is imposter system um, syndrome, but that's definitely how what I was feeling for many years. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, and I, now I'm now I'm like older. I'm I just turned sixty one and. I'm crusty and I feel like I'm having more fun making music now than I actually ha ever have. 
wow. which I don't know if I would have expected to hear me say this back, yeah. you know, in 1981 when I first got here. I don't know if I would have expected that, but I really, I really am I'm just like loving this. Well, and that, and that's so cool to hear because, um, you know, with the, those amount of birthdays that you've collected, you know, that's how I always say, um, you know, it's, uh, you, you know, you learn a lot of things and you learn a lot of things not to, what to do and, you know, um, and it's, and what to do and stuff. And I think coming back to what you were saying about letting people do their thing or instead of micromanaging, I think that's a big, that can be a big hindrance to people setting up their business. Like they want to micromanage every single thing. And at some point, you know, I look at, people like Elon Musk or something, there's no way that he can micromanage. Like, you know, this is yeah. impossible. You have to build this team. Yeah, and at some point you have to trust the people around you. Wow, John, thank you so much. That was so great. Um, gosh, you dropped a bunch of gems and it's really cool hearing your stories and hearing um, hearing the different things that you've uh you've gone through and of course i'm the mu i'm a music guy so of course i'm geeking out with all the all the things that we're talking about and but hopefully guys this has been really uh inspirational and motivational to you and i just want i just want to let you guys know now um you if you're listening to this and you're hearing my voice right now i want to let you know that you can do it you have everything inside you that you need to to step out and reach your dreams it's going to be scary it's going to be it's going to take uh take a, a step of faith a leap of faith but that's all part of it. And we all have to go through that. We all have to go through that uh, imposter syndrome. We all have to go through that, um, that feeling of, of, of uh, why me? And um, But I want to let you know right now that you can do it. You can do it. And I want to challenge you and, and ask you or tell you or uh, suggest to you, um, what is one thing you can do today towards that? Maybe it's putting down a top, top list of, of, uh, your top favorite things or the top things that you would like to do um you know maybe it's even making a list of those those dream things and um but uh, again i just want to encourage you to head over to my uh, patreon account if you'd like to become a partner with me uh, it's patreon.com forward slash steve Collin. it's in the show notes and um awesome i just want to thank you again for hanging out with us and uh, i will see you in the next one Whoa, not gonna give up Whoa, we're gonna rise up